So Abdan, you, you came from what country? <coughs> I'm Canadian, mm -hmm. and uh, I was ordained in Canada, in Western Canada. Mm -hmm. Western? Yeah, at a monastery called Birkin. Birkin, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. in B British Columbia. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was there for eight years, and then another year at a Bayagiri in okay. Northern California. Yes. And then uh, since, since then I've been in Thailand for seven years. Seven years, seven, mm -hmm. eight years, yeah. So I just so came... You, you came here just recently? Visit upstate. Just for a visit, yeah. Visit. I got here in late June and I'll be here until middle of November. Oh. Yeah. And mm. where would you go then next? Ba back to Asia. <laughs> yeah. So in Thailand or...? Yes. Yeah, I, well, um, I'll meet my, uh, my abbot uh, in Thailand. I'll meet him in, uh, for a retreat in, um, in uh, Malaysia mm -hmm. for, you know, uh, uh, 10 days or so. Uh, and then we'll return together to Thailand. Mm -hmm. so. But not to the... But not, not, what? No, uh, I, I visit there every year, but I live in a different monastery, um, smaller, much smaller. Not Ajahn Chah It is, yes. It is also yeah, yeah, there are 300 <laughs> branch oh. monasteries of... Uh -huh. yeah. So, uh, many, many. Um, and uh, uh, so, so the one I'm in is, in a, is just in a province north of, of Bangkok, mm -hmm. um, a few hours by car. So it's uh, called Pechabun. Pechabun. Yeah, we have lots of lots of options in in the uh, Ajahn Shah Sangha. <coughs> <coughs> but it's only in Thailand. The Ajahn Shah no, didn't. Here, but here in in Asia, didn't go to other oh, countries. Um, yeah, that's let's see now. I think Mostly Thailand and Western. Yeah, um, there is. Uh, I think there are one or two Ajahn Chah monks who live in Malaysia. Um, there's an, I mean, I know uh, an Indian... No monastery in Malaysia. There are, maybe small though, yeah, uh, small. And uh, for instance, I've lived sometimes with an Indonesian monk, but I don't think he wants to return to Indonesia, so... but. Uh, but you're right, yeah. Otherwise, they tend to be in Australia or Europe or it Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, Ajahn is the, it means teacher, right? That's yeah. right, yes. So, we, we just noticed the book in the library by Ajahn Sundara. Oh, and yes. Sundara, mm -hmm. a, she was a nun. Mm -hmm. So, and then Aya is the so I just got confused why she's called Ajahn. Ajahn, well, she, she's very senior. She's, right. I don't know, 35 probably. Yeah. Uh, so, um, to, be on, well, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. Um, uh, we, you know, we do have some choices. It could be venerable too, you know, uh -huh. for bhikkhus and, and, and that could uh -huh. be just bhikkhu or bhikkhu bodhi, you know, there right. are various ways of uh -huh. referring to people. Um, Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think whether because uh, 
she's a she's a she's a sealed in the Siladara tradition, and uh, the the bikunis. You know, there are, there's a bikuni monastery in that area, fairly close. Aya. Yeah, yeah. Aya. That's why I put all yeah. my new Sundara from years ago. We met her. Yes. Now she's Ajahn, and like, oh, <laughs> is it Aya? She? The, it's uh, to be. I'm, I'm struggling a little because I don't I don't I don't uh, know all of the right. the kind of uh, forms. I don't think that the that the nuns in England are called Aya, though. Oh, I'm just I'm just I'm yeah, just uh, sort of thinking about this. It's so really I, it just, just a formal. It's a bit of a tradition, and I don't mm -hmm. think the tradition is sort of developed. And I could be wrong. Aya, Aya Chandas. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, Ajahn Chandasiri has a has a hermitage in Scotland now. Ah. I don't know if you met her. Maybe in Amaravati. Yeah, maybe Once she's. Or oh yeah, okay. okay. And then she went to California, right? Because I don't know. I yeah, the, there the were. Uh, I don't know if it was her, but she's probably been to California. But mm -hmm. there were two. Um, Two Siladars who went to California, and then they decided to to ordain as bikunis. Uh -huh. And to be honest, I don't know whether they're still at you know, in California or whether they moved to a different place. Mm -hmm. no, I'm not quite sure. I don't I don't really keep up with the um, with the comings and goings in North America when I'm in Thailand. So yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. They, they may have been living with Aya Tataloka, mm -hmm. who's a, an American bikuni. Uh -huh. yeah. She originally ordained um, in the Taiwanese tradition, I believe, uh -huh. and then kind of changed uh, lineages um, <coughs> to uh, the Thai tradition mm -hmm. <coughs> and became a bikuni at that time. I was in um, Melbourne, Australia, just prior to coming here. I spent just almost a month down there. Mm -hmm. So uh, lots of lots of Buddhists actually in in Australia. Quite a few um, monasteries, and um, in Melbourne in particular, there's a really large population of Sri Lankans. Mm -hmm. So they helped. Um, you know, they, they came over in large numbers in the 20th century and even perhaps before. But um, uh, anyway, there's, um, there's what's called the Buddhist Society of Victoria, which was founded in Melbourne and um, it's been going for over 60 years now. Yeah, quite, uh, quite an achievement, really. So there are other, you know, Lao and Thai um, people who will come and support it and, and will come to see various monks, but um, but it's still, you know, to a large extent, uh, 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 Sri Lankan uh, kind of people who organize things, and a lot of Westerners too, I mean a lot of, uh, of Australians and European types. And the monastery in Australia is in Perth? There's one in Perth, uh, there's one in Melbourne, there's, Melbourne. yes, uh, quite a big one, um, Ajahn Kalyano. 
And there's one outside of Sydney and... But they're not in Atantara. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, the one in Melbourne and the one in, um, let's see, Sydney, outside, the one outside of Brisbane. So, yeah, there's wow. quite a number. Have you heard how is Ajahn Sumedho doing? He's in Thailand. Yes, he's back in Thailand now. Yeah, yeah, he's well. He's just been traveling again for quite a, quite a period. Yeah, but he's back in Thailand now. I uh, just you saw. Know what, banana, no, he stays at uh, Ratanawan, uh-huh. Ratanawan, which is in a. I think it's around Korat, so it's north of Bangkok, but not as far as where we are. It's near a, a um, the largest national park, uh, national forest in Thailand called Khao Yai. And um, they, in fact, they get these huge kind of bison cattle, bison, you know, bison. Yeah, yeah, very, very large, um, coming down from the, from the mountain, the Khao Yai, through the forest and grazing at night. So he is, he'll be there, I guess, for the, for the rains season. It's a monastery there? Yes, big one. Ratanawan is quite large. Um, so does he teach still? Does he... <coughs> well, he he does. I mean, when he travels, he's he, he sometimes uh, will give retreats in Malaysia or Singapore. Uh, when he travels in Europe, he may um, he certainly gives talks. I'm not I'm not sure uh, how long the retreats will be that he teaches anymore, um, because you know he's 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 just got to be he's 84. Yeah, yeah. So he's being more careful, and P- and, and his uh, his um, his helpers are being more careful for him too. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's still he he loves to teach, mm-hmm. and um, so he still accepts invitations. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I have the pleasure of seeing him usually a couple of times a year, just oh, you know, really? at different yeah. different mm-hmm. gatherings and. He's been to the monastery that I live in uh, once. He came for our uh, katina, oh. so um, that was very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met him for the first time years ago in Seattle, which is where okay. he was born. Okay. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. in the states. Mm. His parents actually. Um, they they used to before he was born they lived in in BC they lived around uh, Chilliwack I think they lived around Chilliwack oh, yeah I just look at the, his talk I mean in the book gratitude to parents and mm. he talked about history of father mm. and mother mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah his sister uh, is still alive she lives I think. Is it Vancouver, Washington, or Portland? Anyway, she lives in the States. She yes. Yeah. Icons. icons, yeah. Yeah, I remember from 
So how did you become involved in with Buddhist practice? Uh, in did you did you already start in Poland? And I guess you oh, were because you're because you're you're coming to Amravati. I forgot how we were. We had some connection with people connected to Krishnamurti and Theosophical Society. Uh huh. And Theosophical. Yes. And then we learned about Amaravati when was the temple wasn't built yet, but it was eighties. So we went to visit. We met Ajahn Sumedho. And then over the years, we in Poland there was no group, so we just occasionally went to visit. Yeah. Yes, and then we we in Toronto we joined Tabata Buddhist Community mm -hmm. TBC. Mm -hmm. so, and then we was yeah coming coming once a year mm -hmm. from New Zealand and then. From uh -huh. He was an abbot in Amarapati yes. and, yes. and then he was in, in the state of his mother. Yes. Uh, okay, so you've known him for a long time. <coughs> yes, 25 years. <laughs> yeah, um, so we wanted to, to see him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, as, yeah, as you know, he's. He'll be back on Monday, so you'll be gone by then. So, to come again. You have to come again, yeah. But she also travels, right? He goes different he, places. He does, yes, mm -hmm. yes. As um, as uh, Venerable Kamiko was, was men mentioning, right now he's the only um, monk in our tradition who is um, has the authority to, to grant ordinations. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So um, he's an Upachaya. So... Um, from time to time, he'll he'll do that, and so he's he's doing that uh, at the moment down mm -hmm. at Temple in uh, in uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. There used to be two of them with Lumpur Pasano, but Lumpur Pasano is kind of edging into retirement, and he's uh -huh. uh, uh, right now in Thailand. Uh -huh. Yeah, so they used to kind of divide the continent in, into half, but uh, mm -hmm. now Lumpur Viridamo's got it all. Sergeant Pasano is in uh, Arbiga, I know, in California now? No, he's, he's now in Thailand. He, um, he left fairly recently, uh -huh. in the last few weeks, I guess, uh, prior to the, the, the Vasa. So um, they had a big gathering there not too long ago. At Abhagiriya? For the, for the um, kind of grand opening of the Dhamma Hall. And then um, there's another uh, gathering even more recently for kind of to acknowledge Lumpur Pasano and he was just about to head off to Thailand because he'll be gone from Ibaigiri for the year. Oh. Yeah, he'll be there in Thailand, I guess, until, I suppose, I'm guessing until December or so. And then he'll go actually to Birken Monastery oh. in BC, spend the winter retreat there. Mm -hmm. So... He hasn't had a good Canadian winter for <laughs> for uh, forty years, I guess. <laughs> you should come to Labrador. Get <laughs> mm, mm. a solid one there. <laughs> yeah, he would. I bet he would. Uh, yes. My question is: uh, if the lay people, especially like um, female lay people, yeah want to go to the temple uh, that you are resident in Thailand, Yes. what should be done? Like, 
Uh, yes, um, it depends on circumstances. Um, uh, we don't have very, very much in the way of accommodation for lay people, but we do have. Uh, at the moment, <laughs> actually, there's a building that's being um, remodeled, remade to be able to accommodate uh, women on the top floor and men, kind of in a, you know, in, in, in the lower floor. Um, and this is being done especially for Malaysian students who come every year, uh, usually uh, sometimes you know 20 of them, but they come each year and they've been really wanting to be able to uh, come for periods of self-retreat. So, um, so it's possible, I think, um, it will become possible in the next few months perhaps for, for this to begin with uh, women such as yourself, for instance, uh, who, who, um, who come. The, uh, I, I think actually the abbot has to, maybe, he may not yet have a, uh, the policy, you know, kind of worked out fully, but uh, obviously the Malaysians who have uh, supported this project that's being completed now, they will, um, there'll be, you know, kind of priority, but, but generally speaking throughout the year, there will be large amounts of time when when the, the accommodation is available. Um, there will be other um, um, people will, will, will need to come for, I, I think Ajanachalo has, has said uh, seven days or more, so he doesn't want people to, it, it just to be a place for people to come for a couple of days and leave. We uh, Partly because uh, he's very interested in supporting people's kind of meditation practice, but not so much wanting just visitors coming and going. But um, <clears throat> also because where the monastery is, we we don't have a the monastery doesn't have its own vehicle, and uh, we're we're kind of out of the way. So it usually takes quite a bit of arranging to sort of get people from the airport, which is two hours away, or uh, and give them instructions about taking the bus and then we have to get somebody to go down. It's a, almost an hour away to pick them up. So it's a little bit complicated in that way. So uh, we try to keep things uh, simple uh, in terms of arrangements like that. So is that all, all fairly clear? Uh, it is uh, how far from the temple to the community, that uh, to the village? Where we go alms round? Chaika. It's not very far. One, one and one half kilometer. That no? is mean uh, uh, if someone stay in the village to come back to sleep and go back to the temple? Um, it, it, be it could possible? be, but our village is... Uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you could stay in our village. It's, it's quite poor. Uh, are village. they Thai? They're Thai? Yeah. Oh, maybe but my, 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 my. Um, there, there is, there is also, um, there's also a, a neighbor of ours who sometimes has has welcomed people to stay in the lower floor of. He and his wife, uh, they have a, a large place which is much closer even. So, uh, and there are many, there are many resorts in the area. It's just that the one resort that was, maybe, oh, I don't know, three kilometers away, two kilometers away, three kilometers. Um, it's now kind of run down and I don't know if it's even open anymore. So it used to be possible for people just to stay there and they could even walk. 
but uh, that's that's not long. Yeah, there's there's uh, people live there, so <laughs> something would be possible. But uh, as I say, it is now becoming possible uh, for people to to come, and where these accommodations are, are is in an area where um, a couple of Mechi often live, especially one Malaysian Mechi, she's been there most of the time for several years now, very nice person. So it's just, you know, two, three hundred meters from, from the Dhamma Hall. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do, next question, if the people's uh, Mechi, when she lived there, did she have to support her own food or she can she, take it from temple? Yeah, yeah I mean, she eats every day uh, up at the monastery and um, she sometimes likes to bring things for the monks as well um, but she she eats what, what we eat yeah yeah and she I think she buys food sometimes too because she likes to she likes to do some cooking from time to time, but we don't. Um, Janachalo <laughs> doesn't expect her to, you know. It's, it's, she's not running a kitchen or anything because we actually have no kitchen. <laughs> All the food comes to the monastery. Because normally in Thailand it's also like that. In, because well, many monasteries have kitchens. You know, uh, uh, people will. People will often bring their food, or the monks are collecting it on alms. But but many monasteries have kitchens as well. I, I come from the tradition that uh, it's called mon. Yes. Oh yeah. Like not mon. Oh, oh okay okay. Mon. Yeah. Mon. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the mon people. Is we are like a a pasifat in in Burma. Yes. And a pasifat in. in Place um, it's sometimes it's just the villagers' food, but usually each day some people from the neighboring area also come when they know that the monks are eating. So it's a kind of a combination. But yeah. we go in alms round every day. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you got information from the other woman who was here a couple of days ago? Uh, from, uh, from uh, Dong Xiao. Oh, yeah. Right, Dong Xiao, and also the uh, Thai woman who was here two, three days ago? Oh, uh, no, 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 not, not, not Ui, not Okay, okay, oh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her Thai name is Ui. Ui, <laughs> Ui. Uh-huh. Ui. I thought it was not. Not is a is is a chart for her full name. Oh, I see. Okay. But you know, Thai we have a many level of uh, close closeness. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if I call her Nat or I call her full name, it means I am a work 
had uh, she already grow up as mm. a adult, and then or she go to school, and that is a certain friend call that type of name, but it, the family will call her Ui. I see. It, it's like a kind of like closer. It, it the level of closeness mm-hmm. is the also, yeah. but we is difficult to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Math is easy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> um, question. Um, kind of like a, a little personal, well, it's like inquiry, but it's something like if you're thinking of like ordaining coming a monk and uh, like personally I, I have this like if you're a shy person or someone who's uh, maybe introspective or, or you don't have a whole lot of self-confidence um, like living the life of solidarity and and, and uh, being with yourself more does that tend to, can that make it worse, or make you more of a person that tends to, tends to hide, or is it, what was the balance there, if, from your personal experience? I don't know, um, um, if, you're a, if you're a shy person, I guess, and if you're on your own a lot, uh, you, yeah. are, you just kind of cultivate that, whereas if you're thrust into public circumstances a lot, then you get over some of it, or at least you have ways of um, of um, uh, having a kind of showing showing yourself in certain ways when you're in public. So it's it's largely about about, um, but um, you know the aim of the of the holy life is not to say overcome shyness, mm-hmm. let's say, or or what have you. So um, we. Um, we all have different temperaments and talents and dispositions and, and interests and all of these things. So, so um, that's just part of who we are when we come into the robes. And, and um, these things change as uh, as the as the practice kind of transforms one's character to some degree. But some what are what we call vasana kind of deep roots. Uh, uh, they they kind of stay uh, in, in, a, in a, the complex of a personality, I guess, to some degree. <clears throat> it's, it's even observed in, say, in Thailand with, with some monks who are considered to have, um, to have um, um, uh, completed their, their work, you know, to, to have achieved um, great uh, spiritual transformation. Uh, still, they'll have their character, you know, some of them will um, even during the Buddhist time, you know, you remember uh, if you've if you've read some of the suttas where, say, um, uh, Venerable Mahakasapa, who had a very, very, it could be very abrupt, and uh, could could uh, people were a little bit worried about him because he could be very 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 strong personality, and then. And the Buddha just observed about him that for many lives he had he had been a leader of men and just very very strong uh, in this sense. And so, um, some of the indications of, of personality or uh, they they don't uh, they don't pertain to <clears throat> they don't reveal the the presence of, of we'll say anger 
or um, even <coughs> give me a story um, um, a monk that I know who was was an attendant <coughs> an attendant to <coughs> Ajahn Chah excuse me Ajahn Chah had um, had a, quite a quite a broad kind of range of, of um, of uh, personality characteristics. So, so in Thailand, they sometimes say with with uh, with great teachers, they're either a grandmother or a general. So, in other words, very soft, you know, compassionate, and 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 that, or very strong. So, Longtan Mahabua would be uh, certainly the kind of general category. He's he's always kind of considered quite fierce, although. Uh, uh, extremely uh, f full of metta and, and, and the rest of it, but but the the personality, what you kind of experience or see, maybe in public, uh, is this kind of forceful individual. But Ajahn Chah had, they say, had both sides. You know, he could be very strong sometimes, and also very very tender and, and, and kindly, compassionate um, uh, at other times, just just depending on things. Um, I remember once uh, a monk I know who who uh, was visiting Lanta Mahabua and uh, um, this monk that I know was was with a group of Western monks and I think if I remember the story right uh, Lanta began to give quite a fierce desana, fierce kind of dhamma talk, maybe because he had observed something about one of the monks, what they were doing maybe. So it's very fierce, you know, and um, but my, my friend who was uh, who was there, he said all he could feel from Lanta Mahabua was just just uh, just a very warm and loving character. The words were were strong and delivered in a really forceful way, but but the, but underneath it, what was guiding it was just was just metta. So. Um, yeah, so these these aspects that we reveal uh, and our the, the way our personalities and our dispositions are expressed, um, we do expect them to change over time. But uh, probably there are some underlying uh, character features of our of our of our character that that kind of stay seemingly rather st more stable. You know, they s still still exist. you can cultivate like <clears throat> as you cultivate m more uh, maybe deeper qualities like more meta or more whatever like you still have your personality and that comes out on the surface but you cultivate something and that could have change change your it can come through essentially the point is to cultivate something deeper right and then personality is always going to more or less, more or less, be there. Yeah, I think things are going to change, and um, um, I guess, I guess, I would just say, uh, monks don't usually become monks in order to kind of fine tune their personality or try to tweak their, yeah. you know, I'm I'm this kind of person. I want to become more. It's just it's a it's a the whole package. You know, we're we're trying to uh, work on. On the, the characteristics in us that uh, the tendencies in us to create suffering in our lives because we don't understand uh, the nature of experience 
And um, what happens as a result of that in terms of what I'm calling personality, that's, <laughs> that's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, uh, in the end it's not so important. But people do change, you know, you see, you see people mellow or um, certain tendencies, for instance, towards anger or towards um, um, uh, suspicion or, you know, various negative traits. You, you do see uh, uh, these things mellow or, or change or soften or, or um, uh, um, get kind of weeded out of a, of, a, of a person over time, I think. And uh, certainly the, the teachers that I've had, um, um, they will observe of themselves, you know, that, that many, many things that they, that they experience for many years as a younger person maybe, uh, they just don't, they just aren't problems anymore or any, not to anywhere near the severity that, that may, they, once, they once were. So. How do I practice? I, I, um, so she's, the question is about culti- the, the reflection on, on death, you know, dying and that. Um, you're asking me in particular, or I mean, yeah. we, we. Uh, how is it should be practiced and, and normally like one people practicing it, what, how it is? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's something that I pick up from time to time and contemplate more regularly, and then sometimes not so regularly. But but it, it's uh, you know we have these five daily recollections that that are uh, very important to to just reflect on each day. The fact that we get old and that we that we're prone to sickness and and dying and so forth. So. Um, I think about, I reflect on death in, in various ways. I mean, we hear about death, you know. Uh, in monasteries, people come because quite often they have particular interests or particular problems sometimes, and so people will share with us the fact that they've just lost loved ones, and they're, this is a, uh, a kind of open and safe environment for people to be honest about, uh, about their feelings or about their experience. So um, I find that, that when people come with this news, uh, I, it, it just reminds me all again uh, what the consequences of, of life are. Um, death is the consequence of having been born, for instance. And uh, so I, I, I find these, these episodes um, uh, touching uh, in different ways, I suppose. Um, a few years ago, I had a, um, a physical uh, uh, problem um, that I, I just went for a normal kind of health checkup, and then they um, they discovered a, a spot on one of my lungs, and uh, so they gave me a CAT scan, and, and sure enough, there was a, a spot in the lung. But I was um, I was going off to India on, on pilgrimage 
the next day, so um, I wasn't, I didn't want to stay and, and get a biopsy and that sort of thing. Anyway, the, the oncologist uh, was quite worried and, um, and, um, and then this, this news was, was, um, was very much on my mind each day when I was in India. Um, and um, uh, it was quite interesting because, uh, because both my parents lived to very old age. And so you just assume that, that that's kind of, you know, that you'll live to about the same age. So um, I found it, it was almost amusing actually to kind of observe this. To, this, is, this is a good, this is a good um, reminder to me, oh, you know, you've, you've, you've assumed that you'd live into your 80s or 90s on the basis of how long your parents lived. And uh, so I was kind of reminding myself that it wasn't necessarily so. And this is, this is a very, the news is very clear and direct and, uh, you know, it, it could, uh, it could, uh, this life could, could end much, much shorter, in a much shorter period. So it also made, at that time, the, the pilgrimage, it, 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 it made it more precious in the sense that I realized that uh, I may never be able to see, may, may never be back to Bodh Gaya again, or you know, there are things that I might be doing for the last time. And um, um, so I made dedications uh, in terms of my practice and my spiritual life. And in other words, um, Living with living with a with a kind of conscious and honest understanding that that death is has to come. Um, when it comes, how it comes, and where it comes, and so forth. We don't know these things, but still, it has to has to come. The body simply can't can't live forever. So living with living with this clear perception means that uh, life itself, one one day to the next, takes on a different kind of character. Um, it um, it tends to bring things into more uh, vi more vividly into the present, as you as you're kind of focused on things. So so it was a very useful useful thing and um, anyway when I when I came back to Thailand and had my health. My uh, my chest X-ray again, um, or the CAT scan again. The uh, the spot had disappeared. So so um, that was that was it at that time. But I realized that um, you know, for all I know, it could just come back again, or something else. Or there's another spot somewhere else, or you just don't know. Once you once you really experience something like that, you're you're more prepared, uh, I guess, to um, if that's the right word, you're more, um, it seems far more possible than it once did. Even though as a bhikkhu and, and prior to that I was, you know, contemplating the fact of death from time to time quite regularly and then as a bhikkhu even more regularly, but even with all that, um, uh, hearing from a doctor that, gee, you know, this, this could be really serious, uh, that, that's a different kind of uh, news. So um, it was it was very valuable, actually very uh, very precious. So I don't um, so 
So each day, you know, I, I still I still bring up this re recollection, of course, and um, people people when they ask you what you're going to do next year, or what what what's your plan for the next five years, or how do you see yourself, uh, you know, uh, where do you want to retire, or you know, all of these kinds of questions are contingent on on the fact that life is going to go on and on and on. And because your life will be completely normal. You'll live into your 70s or 80s or 90s, and so if you're in your 40s, well, you've got, that must mean you have 40 years to live, right? And uh, of course it isn't. It isn't right. One of my, my first monastic teachers, Ajahn Soon, he used to always talk about surprise meditation. Uh, you wake up in the morning and you just, you just acknowledge to yourself, um, the world isn't, doesn't, isn't somehow arranged for me to be able to, uh, to, to be without surprise. Um, the world is, um, uh, is just going to do its own thing and uh, it isn't going to conform. It doesn't have to conform to what my expectations are. Anything can happen, in other words, today. Somebody might say something that will anger me or will uh, upset me or um, something might happen that will be really inconvenient or you, you remind yourself of that the world just isn't obliged to to conform to what is habitual or expected or wished on my part um, something you know someone walks through the door right now and they say something which is quite unexpected maybe or these things happen and uh, death is death is like that I think um, the dying process, when it's fully acknowledged, is kind of like that. I had a question about um, meditation, uh, meditation practice, and um, just uh, I guess what would you recommend to? Um, where I live in Labrador City, um, and I don't have a community, physical community, um, and I, I usually meditate, try meditate, well at least once, once uh, a day, twice a day, maybe a longer one and a shorter one. I'm just wondering, um, I know that I continue to develop course daily practice, but I would, uh, without craving too much. <laughs> I would like to develop more um, deep in my meditation and, and practice. So, um, do you have any recommendations on a daily basis? Like, <coughs> I know I, guess, I know that it depends. It's different for everybody. Yeah, you know, and it's a good question. And it's um, when you're on your own, you know, in a sense, completely. Mm -hmm. uh, then, then. Um, your sense of commitment to practice might might wane and you know wax and wane a little bit because of just just your moods or how things are going in other dimensions of your life, uh, and, and you don't have friends, in other words, who will you know pluck you up, you know, and just remind you to oh you know keep at it, whatever. So it's it's different. 
uh, I mean, we live in an day and age, as you well know, where where uh, some of this is is not so pertinent because we, I mean, there are online groups. There are, I think I may have mentioned this uh, insight timer where people actually meditate together in different parts of the world, but they they agree to you know they meditate together at certain times. Uh, and I imagine there are lots of these kinds of um, uh, communities or, or um, uh, things available on the web. Um, one thing maybe I'd add to that, because I expect you're aware of uh, many of these things on your own. One thing I'd add to that, though, is to uh, you think about what, 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 what you encounter when, here when you come to the monastery. We don't just sit, we also maybe, we, well, we chant, don't we? Uh, chanting is, is, um, is uh, one way to kind of increase one's commitment to practice, I think. For one thing, it energizes, so, so um, maybe at the end of the day when you think you should meditate, sometimes you're a little bit tired or whatever. Chanting is something which, uh, a, it, 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 it brings, brings a mind into to focus on what you're chanting about, some Buddhist sense, you know, especially in the English, the loving-kindness sutra or the five daily reflections or something like that. So you're, you're arranging the mind in a wholesome way. Uh, maybe in a sense too, uh, you're reminding yourself of, oh yeah, we chanted at it to Tisarana. So you, it brings brings that kind of happy uh, and um, useful uh, occasion back to back to your mind again. And as I say, it, it brings some energy and enthusiasm maybe. Right. So it's it's another dimension of practice that Westerners in general might be a little bit more apt to. To leave aside, but um, I would think, especially if a person is really, uh, to to a larger extent, uh, dependent on their own resources, it's just another thing to, to bring into the you know, to, to to help things out. I'd also um, I'd also kind of remind you of the Buddha's instructions on meditation, which isn't always just in the seated posture. So. You know, your, your, your lower back or your hips or something are really sore for a while because you injured yourself or something. And so sitting maybe, I'm just, you know, speculating. So you remember, for instance, you can sit in different ways. You can use a chair or what have you. But also remember that it's quite possible to meditate standing or there's walking meditation uh, or lying down, lying meditation. So remember that, that um, the the process of meditation can be very usefully cultivated not just in the kind of formal sitting posture this can be this can be nice to to because it um, it develops different aspects of meditation and and mindfulness is is directed towards uh, different uh, dimensions of experience walking obviously is there, there's there's more happening. You now have the the feeling of the air, you know, on your face, and you've got the the sensation of the legs and the feet and all of that. Um, the Buddha praises walking meditation, among other things, for the fact that um, that uh, uh, concentration samadhi, which is developing in that, is more robust because it's you know it's being kind of tested and challenged and worked out in a, in a more active uh, manner. Um, standing meditation is, is also is also quite good, and it um, it uh, 
Well, for instance, if you're sleepy, you know, so maybe you're sometimes you're sleepy when you're meditating, and that might be that might just discourage you from trying to meditate at all. Try just try this, you know, just try standing meditation. You can have your eyes slightly open or closed, um, uh, uh, you know, feet uh, sort of shoulder width apart, and you can you can try for a while just to put a little bit of pressure on the right foot and then the left foot, just vary that a little bit. Um, you can you can continue to watch uh, the breath if you're if you're watching say the nostrils, or you can put your focus on the sensation you know of the of the feet on the floor. A little bit harder to do in a really thick carpet you know, but uh, just just an idea, yeah. So remember that meditation can be can be really usefully experienced and developed, not just in the sitting posture. So. These are the kinds of things that, that, that can make uh, meditation a more uh, robust feature of one's life. Right, yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, welcome. Maybe the last thing I'd say is, is um, uh, <clears throat> if, 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 if it's possible, to, you know, depending on your living arrangements and, you know, if you're sharing, you know, if you're married or you're sharing space or whatnot or how much space you have, but if at all possible, if you can have some little area where, you know, for your, for your sitting practice, that, that's, that's, that's its only purpose. And so you can, you know, you can have any little objects or flowers or incense, candles, pictures, whatever, that really evoke the importance and value of, of uh, meditation and maybe Buddhist, uh, um, Buddhist perspective in life. Uh, uh, it reminds you of its value for yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you pass that, that little spot in the day, you remember that's, you know, that's that special place I meditate. And it's, it, um, it, br- it, it brings some contentment and joy and encouragement to people quite often to, to have that. I'm not sure if that's, if maybe you already have that sort of thing, but... Uh, yes, uh, well, I'm going to need a chair, I think. <laughs> I think I... Uh I'm definitely going to branch out more into the different types of... I've, I've attempted blocking meditation, but just one, so... But I uh, meditated... I got used to meditating on my couch, because mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was very comfortable. Yeah. Of course, so... Um, it's difficult to meditate sitting on the floor, yeah. even on a cushion now, because my legs fall asleep right uh-huh. away. That, it's a bit... <clears throat> it's a bit discouraging, um, but I try to do it in intervals and perhaps, you know, even in the morning for ten, five, ten minutes to sit on my cushion just to get used to meditating sitting yeah. before because I do feel, sometimes I feel restricted in where I can meditate because I'm so used to being so comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, the, you, I'm sure you can find uh, a useful guidelines around how to sit. For instance, the way you're sitting now, there might be quite a bit of pressure on the, uh, the lower legs, mm-hmm. so you lose circulation. So, um, um, so, so, you know, discover your options, like using a sitting bench like, like uh, this gentleman here, or that sort of thing. If, if, um, and you can always change things too. One day you do this way, one day you do that way, maybe. Uh, the floor is very good because it's very stable. You know, you're just right here. You can't 
topple over too much and, and uh, got a nice broad base. Um, it, it's very good in that way. Um, if you're going to sit up on, a, on something, chair might be a little bit better than a couch, but it depends on how, if your couch is quite, you know, kind of sloppy and that. The, the thing about, about sitting is you do, you do as much as possible want a, a back which is unsupported because, I mean, you know how physiology works and if you think of learning the piano, I mean, you, you know, they always tell the kids to stand, sit up straight on the, on the, on the stool because uh, that's, energy, that's how energy works too. So if you're going to sit on something, maybe, you know, maybe if you have a chair which is a little more firm mm -hmm. or if it's, if it's soft like maybe one of these blue ones, uh, even so, um, try to arrange yourself so that you're not leaning back into it. It's going to change the nature of how alert you feel. Okay, mm -hmm. and so sometimes the option, or you know, is to have a little a little cushion at the small of your back, so yes. that, that'll keep your yeah, it'll keep your back away from the yeah, actual slumping. yeah, slumping. So. I do find yeah, when I support uh, I support myself on the couch, put a put a pillow. Okay. There, sorry. Um, it's just that uh, it is. It's quite difficult. Like even sitting, I find every time I sit on the cushion, my legs. This yeah. one goes to sleep. I yeah. Try to put it up here, and yeah. so. Um, but I'm hoping that I mean I guess with practice and eventually that I will be able to get used to it and it not because I find it really distracts the the practice. Mm -hmm. So of course, and I always love to just go to resort back to because I find I'm able to I'm really comfortable. So then I'm able to sit there for longer periods and just focus then on my body's comfortable so it's not distracting me. Right, right. Um, however, like I said, it's it's definitely limiting and I... Well, be aware too that the body, um, um, nothing's much is going to happen to a leg that's starting to go asleep. You know, you want to watch your knees, you know, that's, uh -huh. you know, if they start, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to damage your knees, but, um, the body, the body is going to do things, you know, uh, and it may just be itches that come up, keep coming up in the nose, but it could also be things that, and then you sort of worry, oh, should I be like this? And I'd be more comfortable this way or that way. And it, it just uh, provokes more restlessness in a way. So sometimes you can, you can challenge yourself, you know, well, okay. The legs feeling a little, you know, a little numbish now, but I, you know, I'm, I'm supporting the knee and I'm, you know, Nothing. It's not going to fall off. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to die. <laughs> Last will and testament. <laughs> yeah. I, I died meditating because <laughs> my leg was falling. Was getting a little numb on me. <laughs> no, it won't happen. You know. Yeah. So remember that you can you can challenge uh, these things a little bit. We do live in a time and a place and a culture and that that that. Everything that's comfortable and easy and sweet and soft and nice—that's where you go. You know, I mean, we're all kind of being given this information from the time we wake up until we, right, through advertising and television and that. Uh, you you shouldn't have to put up with anything. If there's any kind of ache or pain, something's wrong, and and uh, luckily somebody's got a pill for it or whatever. But the the body just is, <laughs> doesn't doesn't uh, um, it doesn't uh, uh, doesn't work like that. Uh, so 
So just, and remember, um, you know, if, if, if this practice is really going to take root in, in any of us, it's because we've seen it through thick and thin, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and like it or not, we, you know, we were talking about death a few m- minutes ago, like it or not, all of us could easily be at some time near the end of our life in a lot of distress you know, physical distress, you know, the body is not behaving the way we have grown used to it mm-hmm. and expected it to, it just isn't. Is that going to be a problem or is it not going to be a problem? That's, uh, that's, that's not up to the body, that's up to our heart and mind. So if we've, if we've just been patient with, with a bit, you know, the aches and pains and the normal grumblings of the body over years, just watching things uh, a bit of pain will arise, a niche will arise, or whatever, and then it falls. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't last forever. If we've been patient and and showed a bit of fortitude in the midst of that, over time it 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 increases our own resolve, and I I think too, it makes us much more able to be mindful and clear and and patient. Maybe when when we're actually facing real difficulties uh, towards uh, you know in in in. Uh, some other time in our lives so you can think of it like a training remember mm-hmm. that that there's more that's at work here than than simply uh, you know having our 10 minute meditation there, there we're, we're training ourselves for the long term right. so.